You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. 
David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David and his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give you the flesh, the, give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled fell, and fell face down on the ground. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are looking at uh, we're looking at the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, and the Jesus Storybook Bible is a children's Bible um, that goes from the very beginning in the Bible to the very end of the Bible. It tells the whole sweep of the narrative of Scripture um, in a very beautiful way, hitting all the main highlights. And every single time it tells a story, it centers it back on Jesus, and so that's why it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, we are, you know, maybe uh, a third of the way through the Bible at this point. And um, it starts in the garden. Uh, God uh, makes this perfect planet. He makes this world, this perfect planet. And on that perfect planet that we live on, planet Earth, he creates uh, a creature that is what he says made in his image. It's, uh, it bears the image of God, which means it's like a mirror that shines back uh, what comes into the mirror. So it's uh, shining back the glory of God. The glory of God shines on humans, and we of all, only of all creatures shine back the glory of God. And so we take the same creativity that he used to make the world and turn uh, chaos into order, and we also spread that creativity, mirroring him back to himself. That's the goal. We're supposed to spread out from the Garden of Eden, go across the whole planet Earth, Take over the planet and spread the word is dominion. God's dominion everywhere. By the way, I'm reading a book by Terrence Reel called Us. Very good book, but he radically misses the point of dominion. He thinks that dominion means humans are made to control the planet. We're made above the planet and that our job is to manipulate the planet and use it for our own ends. That is not what dominion is. That's domination. And we do that because we're fallen. That is true. Uh, But the original call to Adam and Eve was dominion, which means gardening the earth, taking care of the earth, living as part of the earth, 
uh, bringing out all the natural resources of the earth. So it's very important you understand that we're supposed to spread dominion. And instead, because of our fall into sin, we spread domination. So we go from dominion to domination. And so God, um, in response to that, does not wipe out the world. He could have. He almost did in the flood, but he didn't. Instead, he takes this family and he calls it the secret rescue plan. Uh, The family of Abraham, Israelites, the Jewish people. And he begins to reveal himself to them. He chooses Abraham because Abraham is a man who was nameless. He was barren. He was old. He was decrepit. He had no ability to boast whatsoever. And so God says, I want that person to be the one to be the head of my family. And it's the family of Israel. Um, And so the, the, the rescue plan is that this family would restore dominion to the earth instead of domination. They would restore uh, the spread of God's creativity rather than uh, human arrogance and pride. And, and King David is a great example of one of the children of Abraham. Uh, he is a person who is not interested in human strength and domination. He is interested in the, in the Lord's strength. He reflects back to God, the glory of God. Uh, one of the Psalms that he wrote, Psalm 20, verse 7, says, Some boast in chariots, some in horses, some in missiles. Uh, we boast in Yahweh, God. So it's a total repudiation of the typical warfare of the ancient Near East. Indeed, of our warfare. So I want to look at David, who uh, reflects the strength of God, whose confidence is in the strength of God. He's the champion of Israel. Uh, and then Goliath. Goliath of Gath, this giant who is the champion of the Philistines, uh, who has confidence in human strength. So we're really contrasting human strength with the strength of God. So first of all, Goliath. Back in the story of the flood, we talked about the Nephilim. Do you remember that? The Nephilim are these giants that are kind of like half human, half God. Kind of like if Zeus uh, produced an offspring like, um, you know, one of the, or Thor is the offspring of Odin and and a human being to go to the Norse gods. So demigods, that's what the Nephilim are. Uh, they're actually in the Bible, and I don't understand that, but that's what the Bible says. These, these beings existed. They existed before the flood. They were huge. They were the embodiment of boasting and violence. Somehow they came through the flood. Great mystery. And I've got theories on that. I won't go into them right now. But they made it through the flood, the Nephilim. And, um, and Goliath is a descendant of the Nephilim. He is one of the Nephilim. And so it says in verse 4, he was three meters tall. Uh, he had a bronze helmet. He had 125 pounds of scale armor. A bronze javelin with a 15-pound iron tip. He's huge. He's, uh, he's like one of the, the villains in an Avenger movie. You know, just this giant, uh, massive, defiant uh, being who hates all that is greater than himself. So he hates God. Uh, He represents pride and power and disdain and contempt. And he says in verse 8, Why do you line up to battle me? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not mere servants of Saul? There's incredible boasting in this passage. If you want to find out how to boast, if you want to go into professional sports and learn how to boast, there's great material in this passage for boasting. Uh, And that's one of them. The the Jesus Storbuck Bible puts it this way. This is by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I'm going to quote her several times. 
This is how Sally Lloyd-Jones imagines Goliath speaking. Goliath says, your God can't save you. I'll rip off your head and have it on toast. So that's the kid's version of the boasts of Goliath. I'll rip off your head and have it on toast. Um, Now, the interesting thing is that Israel, you might think, would be fighting with different weapons and would not be relying on human strength. But in fact, uh, they are not immune to boasting in human power. Because they wanted Saul to be their first king. They chose this man named Saul, S-A-U-L. And they chose him because of his height, his glamour, and his military prowess. That's why they liked Saul. So he was kind of like a little version of Goliath. They wanted someone that was really powerful. That's the only kind of strength that Israel knows. Um, And that's why they cower in fear when Goliath begins to taunt them. So this is again from the story Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones says, God's people froze with fear. Their eyes glazed over and they turned deathly pale because they're so afraid of the boasting of Goliath because that's the only kind of strength they know anything about. And so you have Goliath's boasting and you have Israel's fear and they might look like totally different things, but in fact, they're really just two sides of the same coin. They're, they're both in their different ways uh, relying on human strength, whether you have it or you don't have it. So you've got to ask yourself right now, uh, in your life, which side is up and which is down? Which, which side right now are you? Are you heads where you're feeling pretty confident about yourself and human strength? Or are you tails? It's kind of where I am right now where I'm not feeling really confident about myself at all. Um, if you're stronger, if you're smarter, if you're richer, if you're more beautiful, then you boast. That's, it's come up heads and you're boasting and you're feeling good about yourself. You might not say it out loud, but... This is what Goliath says. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? He feels so superior to David that he feels like it's an embarrassment to have to fight him. That he's this great dog and, and David's a little tiny stick. So that's, that's when you're feeling good about yourself, you boast. Or if you're weaker, if you're less intelligent, if you've got no money, if you are not attractive, then you're cowering. You're feeling inferior. Which is what the Israelites do. Hearing Saul's, hearing Goliath's words in verse 11, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Are you dismayed and terrified because of the lack of human strength? You see both sides of the coin uh, flipping around in David's older brother, Eliab. This back and forth between heads and tails. Um, I love the exchange. It is such a perfect exchange of siblings. I won't go through it again, but if you just look at the exchange between David and Eliab, it's a a beautiful depiction of sibling rivalry. So Eliab is this guy, you know, who would be great in Top Gun. Um, He was like sharpening knives all the time and wearing camo and, you know, he had his sleeves rolled up and constantly doing like pull-ups. So whenever he was talking to David, he's like this big, huge guy who feels really powerful. And when David comes into the battle, Eliab gets really angry about it. And in verse 28, he says, why have you come down to the battle? With whom have you left those few sheep of yours? So he's taunting David as his inferior, Eliab. And so he sounds really tough. Sounds like he's up. He's got heads going up, but actually it's the opposite. In verse 24, you see how terrified he is. He's really not that tough. Says all the men of Israel, which would have included Eliab, when they saw Goliath, they fled from him and were much afraid. I mean, they're already a long way away. He's in the middle of the battlefield there on the edge. And they, anyway, they're, they're so scared they just flee away from him even farther. 
And all of this comes from processing reality uh, through a grid of what is visible, um, what you can detect with your five senses. And so the question is, are you evaluating yourself today by your human strength and by how much you've gotten done today? Somebody was saying the other day I was talking to that at the end of the day, uh, he evaluates his life and his emotions reflect the amount of work that he's gotten done that day. And my wife and I do this when we, when we see each other at the, at the end of the day, you know, when I come home, uh, we're talking. We're both always trying to tell each other what we've done that day, partly to justify in our minds that we are strong, that we can do it, uh, that we are a can-do kind of person. So are you evaluating yourself by human strength? And then the other question would be, are you evaluating other people by their strength, by their fitness or the kind of clothes they wear, the house they live in, uh, the amount of money they have, how, how tough they are. Um, when I got uh, COVID, I was musing with Margie, with my wife, about uh, why, why I didn't get all that sick. You know, I was feeling pretty good about it. Um, and uh, we were talking about, why, did, why do you think you didn't get so sick? And I was like, well, you know, I think I'm just the type guy that pushes through that kind of stuff. That's just like, I'm that type person. I've got grit, I've got resilience, I've got fortitude. And uh, I really did think that. And then, of course, right after that, I got pretty sick. I got, I got a lot worse. But it's a dangerous game to um, evaluate anything by means of human strength and power. Because you can really quickly get on the wrong side of that equation. Fast. You can go from heads to tails really, really quickly. You can lose it all. And uh, if you do... It'll make you want to quit. Uh, It'll make you give up, uh, not want to ever try again. I I almost, uh, seriously, almost literally quit uh, playing basketball a few weeks ago. I had such a bad game. And I don't mean like quit that game. I mean, I made a resolution. I'm not playing basketball anymore. I'm just too bad now. Um, And it was uh, was pretty dark. You know, I can tell it now, but... um, it's, uh, that's a very, it was a very tender thing because I, I just felt so embarrassed by how I played. And it was particularly just missing layups. There's nothing like missing a layup in basketball. Uh, it's excruciating. So I, was, uh, I finally uh, got up the nerve to tell someone. And I was telling my son Cooper, who also played with me that day, and he was hitting a lot of three-pointers and going behind his back and you know, making layups with both hands. And I was like, you know, I think I'm... I think I'm going to turn it in. I think I'm going to put up the sneakers. And he was like, I didn't even notice that you played that. Like, I, I wasn't even aware that you weren't playing very well. And then I had that confirmed by Ed St. Amon, um, who said the same thing later that day. He's like, I didn't even notice that you did anything wrong. You kind of played like you always play, right? And I uh, did not appreciate that, but it did stop me from quitting playing basketball forever. I actually played a few weeks later. And I just thought, I'm so much evaluating myself on my own human strength. So that's part one, Goliath. And if the locus of your strength is inside of yourself, then uh, woe to you. You're going to be eaten alive. Verse 44, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds. That's what Satan's going to do to you if you try to trust in your strength. If you trust in the Lord, 
which is not just a cliche, it's not just a phrase. If you, if you literally make the locus of your, of your strength not here, but you move it out here a little ways, even a little ways, then you become quite invincible. And the farther out, the more invincible. Actually, invincible can't be progressive. But let's just say it gets to be invincible at some point down that line. Um, verse 45, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, and I come at you in the name of the Lord our God. I love that line. Uh, that's my favorite line of the passage. That's what David says. David's like, you're fighting with human strength, Goliath. I am fighting with the power of the Lord. So that's point two, David. Saul is relying on this tiny little slice of the electromagnetic spectrum, the visible slice that we can see with our eyes. Our eyes have been attuned to only that. There's a lot more reality outside the uh, visible slice of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, But that's all that Saul relies on. And that's why he says in verse 33, you are but a youth and he is a man of war. He's judging by what his eyes can see. He's not looking into the heart. And this is the king of Israel. He's supposed to be one of the people that is part of the secret rescue plan, and he is missing it. But David sees into the unseen realm, which is a great book by Michael Heiser. David is looking into the unseen realm, the invisible realm, beyond the infrared and the ultraviolet. He's looking into spaces that our eyes don't usually go. And in verse 37, he says, The Lord delivered me from the bear and the lion, and he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. When David killed those lions and those bears, uh, he knew who was the one that was really directing those blows at those animals. He knew that it was not himself. He knew that there was another greater power working outside of himself, working with him. He still had to act. He still had to, you know, do whatever the motion was. He had to do something, but it was God that he knew would meet him at the other end of that movement and would have the power to kill a bear or a lion. Think about a bear or a lion. Um, to kill that as a little teenage boy is, is pretty incredible. And he knew that many times that had happened. And so in verse 49, it says, David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground, and David cut off his head. He cut off his head with his own sword. That's beautiful. That's poetic justice. And this, um, this slingshot thing, it's not a good battle strategy. Okay, I read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, which is a great book. And it actually was a book that moved Malcolm Gladwell from not believing in Christ to believing in Christ. So it was, the, it was a tipping point for Malcolm Gladwell writing that book, which is another book by him, Tipping Point. But um, in that book, Malcolm Gladwell says that the reason David beat Goliath is because a sling was a higher level of technology than a spear. And so the Israelites had kind of done technological advancement beyond the Philistines. And so people who read the Bible always get the story wrong. It's really about slingshots and not spears. And that is completely missing the point of the whole passage. And I love Malcolm Gladwell, but the point of the passage is totally relying on God. There's no way a slingshot should beat a spear. And that the, the trajectory of that stone that flew out of that slingshot with such great precision so that made contact with one tiny little square inch of skin on Goliath's forehead, that that was driven by the Lord. David went like that, and then the Lord took the thing right where it hit. And that's why he says in verse 47, the battle is the Lord's. And I would like to add, the battle is the Lord's, not my slingshot skills. 
The battle is the Lord's, not my IQ. The battle is the Lord's, whatever it is, not my grit, not my determination, not my wisdom. The battle is the Lord's. And when you realize that, you become strong. He always does this in our weakness. He always does it in our weakness. So Israel was trembling at the edge of the Red Sea, and they thought there was no way, and that's right when the battle became the Lord's. He swooped in and and rescued them. Israel is parading around Jericho like a bunch of fools, and they think there's no way we could beat that city, and then the Lord comes in, and the walls come down. He puts us up to things, God puts us up to things again and again and again where we could never beat them. He puts us strategically in places where our wit and skill and strength are no match for what we are up against. And that's on purpose. That's strategic. Because it was unimaginable that anyone could beat Goliath. Unimaginable. And it might be unimaginable to you that you could beat fill in the blank, whatever it is. You know, what is that thing that you feel like I could never fight that thing. I could never play basketball again. I, I could never actually take that on again. I'm just going to back off. You know, addictions are often like that. We talked about that last week with AA, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And the, the key to fighting addiction is you say, I can't fight this. I'm helpless. I need help. I don't know what to do. Um, that's relying on the, the power of the Lord. Uh, loneliness is another one of those things. You can't just solve loneliness. You can't go up to people and say, can you be my friend? Uh, you can't do that by a direct effort of the will. You cannot solve loneliness, but the Lord can. And that might be one of those things where you just feel too scared to go back into that. But God says, no, the battle is the Lord's. I can be your strength in that place, that place of utter helplessness. It might be an unbelieving spouse or parent or sibling or child. I mean, that's one thing you know. You have no control of whatsoever. And the, and the more you try to push in, the more they'll pull away. Uh, we just, the, the attempt to coerce someone into faith is ludicrous. It's never going to happen. The battle is the Lord's. You give them into the hands of God. And you stop trying to manipulate, control, coerce, whatever it is. And the battle is the Lord's. When David relied on human strength, uh, it weighed him down. Completely weighed him down. He was unable to move. Uh, I love the way that the storybook Bible puts this. Then King Saul gave David his royal armor. But it was too big and heavy. And David couldn't even walk. Uh, I won't need these, he said. I I love the fact that Saul thought that only by that armor could he beat Goliath. And David's like, that's not going to work at all. If you rely on human strength, it will weigh you down. But God's power makes David sore. Verse 48, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. He was on the wings of the wind. You know, he was swept up by the power of God. Uh, To such an extent that this shepherd boy is comforting the uh, professional soldiers of Israel. He says in verse 32, let no one's heart fail because of him. That's how, that's how powerful. That's he was soaring because the power source was not inside of him. Now, I could end right here and say, go be like David, but that would be folly. That would not help anyone. It would make you move into inferiority or superiority, depending on which way heads or tails is. And so I'm not going to tell you that. What I'm going to tell you is the story is about the faith of David in his Lord. The faith of David, not the strength of David. Our faith is like a thin electrical wire that connects us to the power source, which is the Lord. 
And so the, the point of the story is not how great David is, but how great this invisible king is that is ruling over David. Uh, verse 46, the Lord will deliver you from addiction or loneliness or abuse or whatever it is. The Lord is the one who does it, not David. And there's a reason why. After it says the Lord will deliver you, you ask, why will the Lord deliver me? And the answer is not so that everyone would know how resilient you are. That's not the answer that 46 gives. Verse 46, why will the Lord deliver you? Because the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that right there is the secret rescue plan. That's the rescue plan that everyone on the earth, notice the entire earth. If you go through the Old Testament and read the Psalms and the prophets, the whole earth comes up so many times, hundreds of times. It's, it's incredible. Just start underlining it. The whole earth, the, the, the scope of God's redemption is planetary. It is the whole world. It's, it's not a half the world. It's not a third of the world. It's the whole thing. And so when it says the whole earth may know, the rescue plan is that every single tribe and language of people and nation would one day know that God is God, that he is king, uh, and that the battle is the Lord's. That's uh, right now 2.3 billion people know that, um, according to studies. There are 2.3 billion Christians. A third of the people on this planet are Christian. They know there's a God in Israel. It's just going to spread. It's going to keep spreading because it has to spread because it's a truth and it's good. And no lie can ultimately stop the power of that truth. That's the, the secret rescue plan. That dominion would be restored instead of domination because everybody would know that there is a God in Israel. And this family of the church that we're a part of, everyone here is a part of that, um, the family grows by very unconventional means of conquest, right? We've already talked about this. The Lord saves not with swords and spears, verse 47. He does not save with the weapons of human beings. There's no coercion. There's no threats. There's no manipulation. St. Augustine said, no one is to be compelled to embrace the faith against his will. He laid that down as a rule in 400 Uh, 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine said that. Now, there have been very small times in church history where there has been something like a Christian jihad, but they're very small. One Jewish scholar says, you know, maybe just a few. Uh, Charlemagne, for sure, but not many times at all was coercion used. Occasionally, people who were Christian did things that were terrible, intimidating, coercing, manipulating, but to coerce people into the faith has been extremely rare. Even the Inquisitions didn't do that. The Crusades did not do that. The conquistadors did not do that. There's not supposed to be any yelling or arm twisting or intimidating. Jesus said to Peter, put away the sword. That's not how we're going to do this. We're not going to fight Rome with swords. He refused to conquer by inflicting violence. That's not how God would conquer the planet. He, he conquers the planet by receiving the violence, by absorbing the violence. And he did this for us while we sat on the sidelines and trembled. We were sat on the sidelines trembling and, and Jesus comes running into the fray. And so on the one side you have Jesus and the people, the planet, human beings. You have Jesus and human beings over here on this side. And on this side you have Satan and all his minions. Satan's out here boasting, taunting the human race. Jesus comes running out and he destroys Satan. And when he wins, we win because he's our champion. Verse 8, if he fight kills me. If he kills me, we will become your subjects. This is Goliath talking. But if I kill him, you will become our subjects. So if Jesus wins, we all win. If Satan wins, we all lose. We're all his. 
And the point of the story is that when Christ overcame evil, we all overcame evil. When Jesus conquered death, we all conquered death with him because he's our champion. And when he got seated at the right hand of God, we got seated at the right hand of God with him because we are one with him. And in him, we have all conquered the devil, conquered death. Remember, we love these rascals.